this will actually work out well. I'm, I'm not, obviously it's 1015. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to look at the first point there on your handout from the sermon, which actually would be good. Um, uh, if you look at verse 5 of chapter 2, for there is one mediator, I mean one God, one mediator, also between God and man, the, na- the man, Jesus Christ, who gave himself as a ransom for all. There's a, I mean, there's a sermon right there in that one verse. There are, I, I, I specifically uh, do not uh, speak about other denominations. I don't, uh, I think that there's a lot of great churches out there in a, in a lot of different denominations. But there are some, there are some churches who teach some things that are clearly not biblical and um I want to spend some time, this will allow me to spend some time next week speaking to that. And, and just to give an overview, there is one mediator. Guess what? That mediator is alive. Hebrews 7.15 says that Jesus Christ ever lives to make intercession on our behalf. And I hope you hear my heart here. We've seen here, my job is to help us defend ourselves, to speak truth. There is some... I realize that many of us come from backgrounds where we have been taught to pray to and through other individuals. And, And as graciously and as Sincerely as I can, we we do not pray to anyone. We do not pray in the name of anyone other than Jesus Christ. And I want to speak to that in more depth next week, and, and this will allow me. But today, I really just, I want to look at chapter 2 and just today just give us the foundation for prayer. I think... The thing that amazes me in my own life is probably one of the easiest things, simplest things that every Christian can do, has the privilege of doing, is often probably one of the least things that we do, and it's pray. You don't, you don't need anything except breath in order to be able to pray, really. You don't need a seminary degree. You don't, you don't, it doesn't matter what language you speak, you don't need, you can pray. And, and one of the easiest and yet most fundamentally and, and foundational components or aspects of our Christian life, of our Christian privilege is prayer. And I would bet if I asked who here is satisfied with their prayer life, who here is satisfied with, with the amount of time that they dedicate to prayer, and really what comprises their prayers, I would bet that very few of us would be so bold as to raise our hand. And I believe wholeheartedly that, that we're, we're, we're suffering from that, and we're feeling the effects of that. It's interesting, Paul, as I've always said, as he is writing to Timothy to... Verse three, chapter three, fifteen, to instruct so that they will know how one ought to conduct himself in the household of God, which is the church of the living God, the pillar and the support of truth. 
And, and the very first thing that Paul mentions outside of dealing with false teachers, he says, chapter 2, verse 1, first of all, you know what he says? Pray. Pray. Of all the things he could have mentioned, I mean, if we were going to say, hey, tell about the local church. Give me a characteristic of the local church. Tell me what is fundamental to the local church, a gathering of believers, fundamental to vitality and strength and fortitude to a Christian's life. I wonder where prayer would show up on our lists. And specifically what Paul speaks about here is, this is not just any prayer. This is praying that men and women would receive Jesus Christ as their Savior. He's praying about salvation. If we're going to see individuals come to know the Lord, repent of their sin, place their faith in Jesus Christ, that is a, that is a supernatural act. It requires supernatural strength. I remember I was sitting talking with a, a Muslim couple one time, and, and we, were, we, were at, we were, for, for about a, five days, every day for about two hours, I would just sit. They would ask me questions and I would give a defense with our faith. And, and at one point he says, Chris, are you, are you trying to convert us? And I said, listen to me. And I named their names. I said, I don't have the authority or the power to convert you. He said, that's a supernatural act. It would require you being born again. I would hope with all my being that you would. Because I believe with all my being that Jesus Christ is the way, the truth, and the life. That no one comes to the Father but through the, the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ and their faith within. And I, I, I believe with all my heart that, that what you're believing is a lie, that you're deceived. 2 Corinthians 4, 4, the God of this world has blinded the hearts and the minds of the unbelieving. And it, takes, it requires a supernatural work for your eyes to be open to the truth and reality. The question is, do we pray for that? Do we pray for that? It was very clear in 1 Timothy 1.15, it is a trustworthy statement deserving full acceptance that Jesus Christ came into this world to save sinners. To save sinners. That, that is a supernatural work. Certainly, certainly God, and we'll look at it, He has allowed us to be involved, and that is where prayer comes in. That is where our faithfulness comes in. But if we want to see, if we want to align ourselves as a church and see what God desires the fruit of this church to be, He came into the world to save sinners. Do we pray that we would see that? Are we desperate to see that? Are we desperate to see co-workers come to know the Lord? Are we desperate to see uh, the, the people around us at our schools and at our at our workplaces and at our sporting events and all that, are we desperate for them? I mean, do we, do, we, do we live in anguish? Do we sit in anguish overseeing sinners repent of their sin? And the answer to that, I believe the answer to that is seen in the fact of, do you pray for them? Do you pray for them? And the main point of this, 
of this section, I mean, it, I'm sitting here thinking about it. This also gives me an extra week to, to preach through chapter, verse 9 through 15 where it talks about women being quiet. That's not going to be fun. I've enjoyed pastoring most of you and uh, been nice knowing you. I get to shepherd you for two more weeks. No, in all seriousness, this is a rich passage. The main point here, the main point that I want us to see, Paul says, first of all, the main point you'll see on your hand now, prayer that all people may be reached with the gospel should permeate the life of the church. It ought to be one of the core foundational, fundamental disciplines. Discipline. Let's, let's be honest, it requires discipline. Our, our approach, if we're honest, when somebody says, yeah, I, I'm going to pray about it. You know what, if we're honest, has it come to that? Like you got nothing, you got to pray about it? Don't you, don't you know anybody? Don't you have any resources? The reality is the greatest thing that we can do as Christians is pray about it. Yeah, I do know somebody. I know, I know the one who owns the cattle on a thousand hills. I know the one whose whole, where this whole world is their resource. And I'm going to ask him. Prayer ought to permeate the life of the church. The reality is, is the salvation of the lost. Seeing them become disciples, grow up in, in strength in the Lord. That ought to be our burden. It's God's burden. It's God's burden. It ought to be our burden. That men and women, and he, he uses in verses 1 through 8, he interchanges the word for man. Sometimes it's a, uh, up to verse 8, it's really a general term for the word man. It's just, it's, it's people. In verse 8, he speaks to men in gen, in specifically, and that really paves the way for the context of what you see in 9 through 15, but is, is seeing lost people come to know the Lord, is that the burden of your heart? Is that a main concern? That, that, that those around you who, who are perishing without Christ, they're perishing, they're dying. Are we, are we as a church burdened for that? That their eyes would be open? to the reality of who Jesus Christ is, that all people would be reached with the good news. That though they're sinners, though, though their sin is, is, is as scarlet, it can be washed white as snow. Do, do we cry out in anguish? Does that, does that type of prayer pervade our church? Does, does, does that type of prayer pervade your own life? Does it pervade my life? And, and I'll be honest, I struggle with that. I can be as I, I've got a lot to do, and, and some of you may or not believe that, but there's a lot going on, and, and, and it can be difficult. One of the, Satan would love to busy us to death to get us to put our strength in ourselves, our confidence in ourselves, to think that we can accomplish a lot of stuff on the surface. And guess what? We can do a lot of stuff on the, on the surface, but if we're going to do anything of spiritual significance, it's going to be sourced in prayer. It's going to be sourced in prayer. If, if we were to turn over to, to 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verses 5-9, through 9, Paul is, is writing about foundational things, and he says, you know, the, these people were worshiping different men, and they were elevating different men, and they were, their, their, their uh, hope was in men, and, and, oh, I'm of Apollos, and I'm of this guy, and that's my pastor, and I'm of this. And Paul says, what then is Apollos? And what is Paul? 
He says servants. The word there means common laborer. It means, it means waiter. It literally could be this, it's the same word he used for busboy. How's that for self-esteem? You're, you know what you are? You're a busboy or buswoman on behalf of the Lord. You see yourself that way? Paul says, I'm just a servant through whom you believed, even as the Lord gave opportunity. He says, I planted, Apollos watered, but listen to this, but God caused the growth. So then neither the one who plants nor the one who waters is anything, but God who causes the growth. Now he who plants and he who waters are one, but each will receive his own reward according to his own labor. For we are God's fellow workers, you are God's field, God's building. I plant, you water. You water, I plant. Here's the reality, only God can cause the growth. When somebody comes to know the Lord, you know what? It's a team effort. You're probably not the first person that shared the gospel with them. You're probably not the first person that came along their side and, and witnessed to them. That's planting and watering. Planting and watering. As I'm able to lead people to the Lord, rarely ever does it happen on that first conversation. Planting and watering. Planting and watering. We, we have a responsibility to plant. And God sovereignly causes the growth. Man's responsibility, God's sovereignty. It says we are God's fellow workers. He has invited us into a partnership to labor with Him. And we do that through prayer and obedience. And the ultimate goal, the ultimate goal of what God wants to see and what God wants to use us for is the salvation of the lost. Not only their salvation, but that they would grow up, that they wouldn't be disciples, that they would be steadfast and immovable, as Ephesians 4 says, that they would be grown up to be mature men, that they would be able to then lead others to the same saving knowledge that's been granted them. And we ought to be praying for that. It's really easy, if we're honest, to get distracted and to think wrongly about prayer, about its effectiveness, or to relegate prayer to just a certain segment of our lives that we really feel and know that we don't control or can't deal with, can't accomplish on our own, as if we really accomplish anything on our own, as we'll see today. And what I want us to see, and really not me, but it's, it's through this text and over the next couple of weeks, is that the reality, it's the reality that our prayer life meaning what we pray for and how much we pray, reveals the intensity of our concern for God's glory, our joy, and for the salvation of the lost. And what I want us to see is those three things, God's glory, our joy, the salvation of the lost, are, are so interwoven. You, you, cannot, you cannot pull one out without the others. They're, they're interwoven. God's glory... Our joy, our joy is wrapped up, our real joy is wrapped up in God's glory. And our ultimate joy ought not to be whether our team does well, whether we do well. Our ultimate joy ought to be, ought to be wrapped up in the salvation and the discipleship of the lost. Because that's where God's glory is really, really shown. The fact that He would take sinners like you and I, and He would adopt us, and He would make us His people, and He would choose to use us. 
I pray that we would allow God's Spirit over the next couple weeks to really speak to us about our own prayer life. And I just want to I just want to show us from from verses one and two today. And again, it'll allow me to dive into to, to verse five even more so, uh, Lord willing, next week. But I, I want us to understand this that that prayer is not optional. You'll see it on your handout. We are we are to pray that all people we reach with the gospel because that is in line with God's command. Command. It's not optional. It's not just for the super spiritual. It's, it's absolutely essential. He says, first of all, I urge you. And we'll see Lord Louis next week. Paul doesn't just say pray. He uses four different words. And each of these four words, they, they speak to prayer. But, it, but, but we'll break them down, Lord willing, next week. And they're different aspects of prayer. They're different, different ways and things that we pray for. He says that entreaties and prayers and petitions and thanksgivings be made on behalf of all men. For kings and all who are in authority, so that we may lead a tranquil and quiet life in all godliness and dignity. But it's very clear there, prayer is not optional. If we were to flip back to 1 Thessalonians 5, verses 16 through 18, listen to this. He says, I hear people all the time talking about the will of God, the will of God, the will of God. Listen to this. Rejoice always. That's one. Pray without ceasing. That's two. In everything give thanks, for this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. You notice it's not, it's not what house you need to buy. It's not what car you need to buy. It's not about that one specific job that you think you have to do. It's not, it's not I mean, you know, Karen and I, we love to watch, I, 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 she loves to watch Hallmark movies and I watch them with her, and unfortunately she married the antithesis to that because after the Hallmark movie, I'll say, you do realize that you could have married anyone you wanted. You do realize that I'm not the only one for you. There's probably, there's lots of people out there that you could have married. And you think about then think that through. If, if the pride of that, so if I married the wrong person, that means John Cordova, what if John Cordova was supposed to marry the person that I married? Now John Cordova can't marry the one he was supposed to marry. And then he marries the wrong person. You, but but that, that puts me at the center. No, no, God, God's glory is at the center. Whether you eat, drink, or whatever you do, do it through the glory of God. Do it with, whether you're a teacher in, in, in Alabama or whether you're teaching in Georgia. Go do it to the glory of God. Whether you live in Colorado or whether you live in Frankfurt, Connecticut, do it to the glory of God. God's glory and our joy are wrapped up. But, but the reality is this, no matter where you are, here's God's will. We are to be a people that pray without ceasing. That means we don't just pray when we're in trouble or big trouble. We pray without ceasing. And, and my fear is that so many of us have, the danger for Christians is that so many of us are not prepared to deal with life struggles because we, we, haven't, we haven't done the hard work in being relational with God before the trouble comes. And then when the trouble comes, we don't have any, any reference or knowledge or relationship with God. And so what we essentially do is we begin to use God to get us out of the trouble. And then we're out of the trouble, we go back to the way we were before. That's not what prayer was meant to be about. The, the reality is that you and I, your kids, I think God has done that with me and Karen, we've talked about that, especially 
now that we've had kids and, and realizing that I drop, I drop those jokers off every day, all day. I got no control over what happens to them. None. As if I, even when they're under my control, even under my watch, I don't have control. But guess who does? God does. And, and listen to me, there's a spiritual battle going on. Eternal life and death are in the balance. It's interesting, and, and I'm grateful our ladies on Tuesdays, many of them are going through this a study by Priscilla Shire on the armor of God. And, and we get real focused on all these pieces of the armor, and yet I believe verse 18 is left out because he says, after, after all of that, look what he says, with all prayer and petition... Pray at all times in the Spirit, and with this in view, be on the alert with all perseverance and petition for all the saints. And pray on my behalf that utterance may be given to me in the opening of my mouth to make known with boldness the mystery for which I'm an ambassador in chains, that in proclaiming it I may speak boldly as I ought to speak. Paul, Paul essentially says, the one piece of the armor that kind of engulfs and seals it all up, it, it's almost like, putting water sealant on a new... The thing that's going to seal it all in is this. It's prayer. It's prayer. It, prayer is an essential part of the armor of God, the spiritual battle that you and I are in. Prayer. God, God is teaching them there. If you want to accomplish anything with eternal, eternal value, eternal significance here on earth, how to, it's going to be through prayer. Why? Because God's going to get the glory. You and I are going to get the joy of being a part of it. The, the reality is, is that every one of you, me, you, all of us, we, we're at our core because we're sinners. You go all the way back to Satan. Guess what? He was not content just being with God or under God. He wanted to be God. You and I, the same way, we are glory at our core. We are glory thieves. We are glory robbers. We want the glory. The reality is God says, no, no, I'm going to get the glory, but I'm going to get you, give you the joy in being a part of my glory. And it's done through prayer and seeing what God does through prayer. We get the joy. And, and I want us to see that as we set the stage here. Look, look back, turn to John 15. If you were to go over to, to John 15, a, a, very, a very strong verse here, a very contrary verse to our nature and, and the ways of the world and, and really the ways of the church, the ways of our lives. He says, Jesus is speaking here about the vine and the branches. He says, I am the vine, you are the branches. He who abides in me and I in him, he bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. Nothing. Apart from Christ, nothing. You say, well, I do stuff all the time. Here's what, here's what Christ is telling you. It's not bearing fruit. You're not bearing fruit on your own. You can get a lot of stuff done. You can get a lot of results. You can do a lot of stuff in the flesh, but if you want to bear fruit, here's what I know. A branch has got to stay in tune with the vine in order to bear fruit, or otherwise the branch does what? It dies. Cut a branch off and lay it on the ground and take an apple branch, cut it off the tree, lay it on the ground, and see how much apples it produces. You can water it all you want. You can do anything you want with it. It's going to die. Why? Because it's not connected to the vine. 
And you think about all that happens in a church, all that happens in our lives, but concerning the kingdom of God, concerning the agenda of God, concerning the salvation of the lost, what he's saying here is this, is nothing gets done without divine enablement. Nothing. Without prayer. If we're going to reap a harvest, if we're going to see the salvation of the lost, we desperately need God to act. If we're to bear fruit, if our kids are to bear fruit. The, the reality is the purpose of our existence as a church is to bear fruit for the kingdom of God. If you go down to verse 7, if you abide in me, in chapter 15 of John, if you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. Notice what he doesn't say. Live however you want to whosoever glory you want, and then when you get in trouble, run to me, and I'll just take care of you. That's not what he says. He says, if you want your prayers answered, if you want to receive real power, abide in me, and I in you, and you can never you want. Here's what he's saying. If you're, abiding in, if you're abiding in Christ, and Christ's words are abiding in you, guess what? It's, this is Psalm 37, 4. Delight yourself in the Lord, and He will give you the desires of your heart. When you delight yourself in the Lord... Guess what? That doesn't mean, as some people abuse, like, hey, delight yourself in the Lord, and then God will just do whatever He wants. No, no, no. When you delight yourself in the Lord, guess what happens to the desires of your heart? The desires of your heart begin to align with that which you delight in. It's, it's, the, it's the passage that our, our students have on their shirts. Luke 12, 30, 12, 34. For wherever your treasure is, there your heart will be also. You delight yourself in the Lord, guess what? You begin to make entreaties of God that are in line with His glory and not yours. And he says, I can, I can absolutely honor that. I can absolutely honor that. Matter of fact, it'd bring me great glory to answer that prayer with a big fat yes, yes, Chris, yes, I'll do that. And, and our divine help comes through prayer. Look at verse 8. My Father is glorified by this, that you bear much fruit and so prove to be my disciples. Where is the Father glorified? In His people bearing fruit. Why would God not want to answer that prayer? The result of God's, of God's help is that we bear fruit. And the challenge, the challenge of prayer is this. Prayer, it, it assaults our pride because prayer is the open admission that without God, I cannot do anything. I can do nothing of eternal value. Nothing. Apart from God, I can accomplish nothing. And, and He has promised to accomplish His will through us if we'll pray. So, the question is, why don't we pray more? If these are clearly there, these are clearly the truths, the question I want to lay out real quickly is why, why do we struggle to pray? And here's what I want to, it's again, uh, forgive me, it's kind of in our face and I'll let the Holy Spirit do with this whatever you want. But, you know, I get, I get, to, I get to sit through these as I study and as I think through and, and the Lord convicts me and misery loves company, so just come on board, come on board. But, but listen, why don't we pray more? And here, here's the reality of what I believe is totally true. In John 4, you have Jesus with a, a Samaritan woman at the well. And Jesus asks her for a drink. And the woman goes into this whole thing about, hey, you're a Jew. 
What are you doing asking me, a Samaritan woman, for a drink? And she even says, for Jews have no dealings with Samaritans. And here, here, here's, here's what he says in verse 10. Jesus answered and said to her, If you knew the gift of God, and who it is who says to you, give me a drink, you would have asked him, and he would have given you living water. You say, Chris, why, why do you show that to us? Here, here's what I believe that he's saying there. If she would have known who Jesus was and the power that he has, she would have long ago asked him for water. You see where I'm going? You see it on your handout. There is a direct connection between not knowing Jesus well and not praying. Not knowing him well and not praying. He says, if you knew, if you knew who I am, if you knew who was sitting before you, you wouldn't have let me ask you for water. You'd have asked me for water, and I would have given you living water. He goes on to say, I would have given you water that you would have never thirsted again. If we knew, if we really knew Jesus, and we really, really wanted to bear fruit for His kingdom, if we really wanted to see people saved and to grow in Jesus, if we really cared about discipleship and seeing people strong in the Lord and all this, it is clear that we would pray more. We'd pray more. Because we'd be desperate. We'd realize that here, the challenge that I live with every day, and I, I'm just sharing with you, is I can't make you love the Lord. I can't make you delight in the Lord. That is a reality that over the last five years, God has used to drive me to pray for you. I can do everything I can to help you, to facilitate it. We're, we're trying to make headway to, to uh, hire a family pastor here and, and pray for that wisdom there to, to shepherd these children. And, and, and here's, here's what I want more than anything. I want our kids to delight in the Lord. And I want to make everything possible, put every resource available in front of them, but I can't make them. I can't make them care about the Word. But God can. We certainly can shepherd them and put it before them and show them His greatness. But I want more than anything for not only their, their, these kids' parents, but I certainly want it for the kids to delight in the Lord. To see Him high and mighty lifted up. To have an awesome view of the Lord. And the reality for us is this, God is sovereign, and yet He has chosen to work through the prayers of His people. And there is a mystery of sorts there. And I want to help us kind of grasp that an almighty and all infinitely wise and good God has ordained to equip and use His people through prayer. And so the question is, I hear a lot, is if God is sovereign, why pray? He's just going to do whatever He's going to do anyway. And that's a misunderstanding of sovereignty. Because li listen to this. In John 14, 13, I as we close, I want to show us this. Why pray? He says in John 14, 13, Whatever you ask in my name, asking something in somebody's name is paramount to asking something according to his will. It's, a part, it's his character. It's his glory. All of that, everything was wrapped up in a name. Proverbs 22.1 says, says there's riches far beyond anything else bound up in a good name. That when, you, when you say somebody's name, their, their integrity, their character, everything else is, ba everything is bound up in that. You understand that. 
for better or worse. He says, if you ask anything in my name, you ask anything to my glory, that I will do. Listen, so that the Father may be glorified in the Son. Why pray? Because prayer involves the pursuit of God's glory. Prayer is you and I pursuing glory for our God. God, we want you to be glorified. Therefore, we're going to pray. Because listen to me, if I can do it in my own strength, guess who gets the glory? I do. But when God accomplishes things through Chris Basham that anybody who knows Chris Basham knows he can't do, guess who gets the glory? God does. God does. But, but, but the second, there's a second part of that, because listen to 16.24. John 16.24, he says, Until now you have asked for nothing in my name. Ask and you will receive, look at this, so that your joy may be made full. Why do we pray? Not only because we're pursuing God's glory, but ultimately we're understanding that prayer is a pursuit of our ultimate joy. And that's why I was saying earlier, our joy has to be wrapped up in God's glory. Otherwise, prayer is not going to be meaningful to you. It's just going to be viewed as a means for you to get what you want. And you're going to live a very frustrated prayer life because, listen to me, he says in Matthew, he says, which one of you... Who, if your son or daughter asks them for a stick, will give them a snake? And which one of you, if they ask for bread, will give them a stone? He's saying, you who know how to give good gifts, you wouldn't do that. Well, then why do you think I would not do that? Here's the problem with that, though. Here's the problem. That is a true statement. Here's the problem. You and I don't know it, but oftentimes we think we're asking God for a stick, and reality is we're asking God for a snake. If we knew what he knew... We think we're asking God for bread, but the reality is we're asking God for a stone. Do any, any of you who have kids, do you ever tell your kids no? You better. Do, do, is you, why do you tell them no? Because a lot of times what they're asking for isn't going to be good for them. A lot of times what you're asking them for could lead them away from the Lord, could lead them into trouble, could lead... Uh, you tell them no. Okay, you being you, you say no to your kids, and guess what you expect your kids to still do? Love you. God in his great infinite love, you know what he says to Chris Basham sometimes? Chris, if you knew what you were asking for, you'd know, you'd know. If you go to James 4, it talks about unanswered prayer. And you know what he says? You know why they don't prayer is going to answer? He says, because one simple thing, you ask with wrong motives. I bet that right there could sum up the vast majority of the no's in our own prayer life. He says, you ask with wrong motives. He says, you ask because you want to spend it on your own pleasures. You know what that says? That is totally contrary to God's glory. That's your glory. And, and that is the problem with most of our prayers, that it's, it, most of our prayers, if we're honest, it's about our glory. It's not about God's glory. And see, God would be a bad father to give us a, a snake when we ask for a snake. He would be a bad father to, oh, Bradley, you want to run, oh, Brad, Dad, can I have that knife so I can run around the room with it? Oh, yeah, sure, son, go right ahead. 
But you ask my daughter what she wants for dinner every night. You know what she wants? She wants chocolate chip pancakes. I'm not going to give you chocolate chip pancakes every night. Every night. Every night. Hey, Dad, can I have, a, can I have an Oreo milkshake? No, you cannot have that every night. Why? Because it's, it's not because I don't love you. It's because I do love you. And that would be bad for you. John, John Piper once in, a, in, in the book Desiring God, and I'll close on this. I got a chance to share this with our students on Wednesday night. Chris Thayer was, had the flu, and, and I say I'm closing, but please pay attention. He says, suppose you were completely paralyzed. Shoulders down, completely paralyzed. Could do nothing but lay in the bed. Suppose of someone who loved you agreed to sit at your bedside and do whatever you asked. Do whatever you asked for him. That'd be a blessing. He says, suppose one of your friends comes over to visit with you and they wanted a drink of water. He says, let me ask you this. How would you glorify your friend who has, who has sat at your bedside and agreed to help you? He says, would you, would you glorify that person in front of your friend by trying to get out of bed and do it yourself, even though you can't? Or would you glorify the person who has agreed to serve you by simply saying, hey, will you get such and such a glass of water? Hey, will you get such and such some food? See the point? You, we can do nothing. You and I spiritually are the man or the woman that's paralyzed. And God in His infinite mighty and strength has agreed to sit at our bedside, if you will, and has offered to do anything that we ask of Him according to His glory and in His name. And you and I are like the paralyzed person who instead of asking, we want to try to get up and do it on ourselves and struggle, and, and we can't. And, and the command of Scripture is He's saying, just ask me. You, you, the friend is right here, just ask. Will you go get such and such some water? He says, he says pray. Ask me. If you'll ask according to my glory, the answer, I'll do it. And guess what? You're actually, my glory, your joy is going to be wrapped up in my glory. The problem is, is we want to pursue our joy outside of God's glory. And in doing that, in a sense, you put yourself at odds with the Holy God. Because He will not share His glory with another. He's made that very clear. You're, you're essentially putting yourself at odds with our Heavenly Father. Prayer is essential to the church. I there, there are, there are 20,000 homes permitted to be built within five miles of this place. Are, are we praying for them? Are we praying that God would use this church to reach them? There's tons of kids at your schools, boys and girls. Are you praying for them? Do you name them by name before God at your work, men and women? Are you praying for them? In your communities, are you praying for them? Uh, we, we, we as a church, we need to be burdened about the things that God is burdened for. And it's seeing sinners 
come to know His Savior. It's seeing, it's seeing God glorified in our own lives. I, I believe yesterday when we served at Gail Smith's house, I believe God was very glorified in that. I watched five or six neighbors come walking up down the street, and I watched them literally stop in front of the house and just watch what was going on. A couple of them got a chance to talk to and tell them what's going on, and they were in awe of it. I pray as we dig into this, into 1 Timothy, and if, if we do not see that our joy is wrapped up in God's glory, we're going to have a hard time grasping and, and really embracing what we see, not only the rest of Timothy, but all throughout the Bible, that our joy is wrapped up in God's glory. And we can have no real joy apart from His glory.